John chapter 12 and verse number 32. We'll just read one verse of Scripture. John 12 and verse number 32. Jesus is speaking here and He says, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message this morning and use it to encourage and strengthen us. Lord, already it's been a sweet time as we've sung some songs that have caused our hearts to well with love and joy and overflowing and all that You have done for us. Lord, what a mighty God, what a great Savior that we have. Lord, we thank You for that and pray that You would help us to never lose the excitement and the zeal of being saved, the fact that we've been forgiven. And Lord, when we recognize and understand how little we were able to uh, deserve it, that there was nothing that was found good in us at all. That when you look down here, all you saw was a sinner. And then yet you loved us enough to die for us on the cross. Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts to receive that wonderful gift of eternal life. Realizing and recognizing it's not something we could earn or anything we deserved, but something that you gave us freely. We pray that you'll bless the message. And Lord, may you encourage us and strengthen us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus here is speaking and he's signifying by what death he's going to die as he speaks about the fact that he would need to be lifted up from the earth to draw all men unto him. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth for one reason. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He had one goal and one purpose in mind in all the time that he was on this earth. His sole desire was to do the will of the Father. Over and over again, you find that He's come to do His Father's will. He's come to do His Father's work. He must be about His Father's business. And even at the point in the verge of Calvary itself, He prays in the garden. And He weeps as He says, If, this, if there be any other way, let this cup <coughs> pass from Me. He says, Nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. And he gives us a wonderful example, doesn't he, during his life. He talks about the fact that if he was to be crucified, that he would be able to be lifted up from the earth and draw all men unto him. And I, I was thinking on that this week and meditating on that particular verse. It's, it had a, just something I just mulled over for a long time for uh, several days on this and rejoiced in some things. And you know, the truth is we're living in a day where more and more we're seeing a falling away. By the way, we ought not be surprised with that. The Bible speaks of the fact that in the last days that there will come a falling away. There are going to be a, a people that will heap to themselves teachers and false prophets having itching ears. People that will <coughs> tell them what they want to hear and not necessarily what the Bible says. And we ought not be surprised by that, but we ought to be heartbroken for it. It ought to be something that we, we, we long to see a difference being made. And there needs to be a revival, I believe, in, in our hearts, in each of our hearts, of asking God to help us to be a salty Christian, to be a Christian that can make a difference in this earth, that we would take that light that God has given to you and I, and that we would set it upon a candlestick, that it could give light to all the house that we would be this city that is set on a hill and could not be hid, that we would be able to boldly hold forth the things of the Word of God. I shared a little bit in the Sunday school this morning 
about the fact that we're living in a time where, where we, are, uh, we are not seeing uh, the hand of God at work. We, we see young people that they don't see God in our lives. They don't see Him vividly working and actively working in our lives. And some of that is because we don't pray enough to see God work in our lives. But part of it is because we don't ever talk about it. When God does do something, we don't share it. We don't go, uh, man, I'll tell you what, there were times when I was a kid, we come to church on a Wednesday night, and my dad would get up and he would take prayer requests and blessings. And there were times he'd start at 7.10 or so, 7.15 uh, on a Wednesday night, and at 8.15 we're still sharing the blessings that God had done. And, and it'd just be a sweet time as we just shared what God was doing in these miraculous events and, and things that God was doing in our lives. And the truth of the matter is we're living in a time where we need to lift the Lord Jesus Christ up again to this world. We need to make sure that we're magnifying Him and we're exalting Him and making sure that this world knows about Him. Hold, keep your Bibles handy. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture today and hopefully be a help to us in this area. Look with me in Philippians chapter number 2. I love this passage. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number, uh, let's see, we'll go to probably... Uh, let's go to about verse number 5, I believe it is. Philippians chapter number 2. And uh, uh, let's go down, uh, get the right chapter. There we go. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of the servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, and I want you to notice this verse in verse number 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly what? Exalted him. God has highly exalted him. The God of the universe, the God of heaven has highly exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I share with you this morning that if the Lord uh, was exalted by His heavenly Father... If God Himself, the God who created all that is, the God that is all-powerful, the God that stepped out on nothing and spoke into existence all that is, if that God exalted the Lord Jesus Christ highly, don't you think that you and I ought to exalt Him highly? That He is worthy of exaltation. I'm not here this morning to help us just have a feel-good service where we go out of here rejoicing in how great God is. I'm wanting to challenge us this morning that we take this God that we have so neglected exalting and magnifying to this lost and a dying world and that we, we do just that. We exalt Him to this world. It's about time and high time for God's people to stand up and say He's not just one of many religions. He's not just one of many gods that are out there. But He is the God of all gods. He's the God that supersedes everything that is. He's the God that made you and me. I was at a meeting yesterday and uh, sitting there and a man began to talk about how how things just evolved and how there was an evolution process taking place. And I was of the mindset and I told him, I said, I believe that God created the world. And in six days, the Bible speaks of it. And we got into a little bit of a discussion on that. And the truth of the matter is there, there needs to be some Christians that will stand up. About a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, I guess, my kids and I went up to the Science Museum up in St. Louis. And they had a large display there from the University of Indiana, I think it was, with a bunch of college students and professors there. And they all these geology and astronomy type of things, displays that they had up there. 
And I went up to three or four of them. We began to discuss things and about science, and I love science. And they would talk about how billions of years and millions of years, and I began to question them about some things. And I said, could it just be that there's an intelligent design behind all this, that there may be a God in heaven that, that made these things and spoke them into existence? And <coughs> began to look at those things, and they would refute it. And the truth is, there was a difference between my view on that and their view on it, because there was a group of people in a college somewhere that taught these impressionable young minds that there was no God, that there was an evolution that took place, that there was all this that happened, happened by chance. And I thought, where are God's people standing up and saying, we believe in creation? We believe that the Bible says that there was a God who stepped out on nothing and spoke into existence the worlds and all that in them is. Where are the Christians that will take a bold stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and exalt Him and lift Him up and wave His banner high? We're living in a world that is starving for somebody to stand up and say, God is still God. God is still true. God is still holy. Amen. God is still just. He's still a righteous God. He's still a moral God. And we as men are to, are to be surrendered and submitted to His moral law. We are to come to Him as, as a needy person, as a sinner, and uh, trust Him for our salvation by His grace. Every man is in need of this thing. And I, my thought is this, that if God Himself highly exalted the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more should you and I exalt Him? How much more should you and I be talking about Him everywhere we go? I mean bragging on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in John chapter number 3. I think John had it nailed down pretty good, to be honest with you. John was such a humble disciple. He was the one, one of the ones that laid on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of the disciples that Jesus referred to as one that He loved. Can I tell you this, that John had a humble spirit about him. Oftentimes, when there were things to be written about himself, he would not even refer to himself. He would just say, the beloved disciple. Can I tell you this, that John had a spirit of humility in John chapter number 3 and verse number 30. The Bible says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. Oh, that we would learn this. Can I tell you this, the more that we magnify God, the more that we will see our, our frailty and our insignificance. The more that He is exalted, the more we'll be abased. And can I tell you this, that we need to get in a mindset of humbling ourselves and magnifying God for who He is. Look with me in Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 46. And actually, let me correct John chapter 3. It was not John the beloved disciple that said that. It was John the Baptist, excuse me, that said that. John, uh, Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth... What's the next word here? Magnify the Lord. You ever play with a magnifying glass? <laughs> Helps you see things a lot closer, doesn't it? You see details you never saw before. It makes things bigger. When I was a kid, we used to have the little magnifying glasses, and we'd go outside and try to focus the sun and burn the ant piles, you know, and things like that. But we used to play with magnifying glasses, and we would hold them up to our faces and make faces, and we would hold them down to different things. 
Can I tell you this? That every time I use a magnifying glass, and when I got into college and had to read some books that had very, very small print, I had a little plastic piece that would magnify the word. You'd hold it over the sheet, and it would magnify the size of the type and make it a little larger. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It would cause it to appear bigger. Can I tell you this? That when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever our concept of Him is, He is far greater than that. I've said it so often before that A.W. Tozer said, whatever we think God to be, He is not. He's so far beyond our thinking that He is he's, he's so far beyond that that we can never express how great God is. And therefore, when it comes to our magnifying of God, we need to make sure that when we come to God's Word, that we don't minimize God, that we don't put Him subservient to man, that we don't put Him under man's authority, but we exalt Him to the level that the Bible speaks of. That we exalt Him as a name that is above every name. And we exalt Him to the point that His name is such a name that at the name of Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Can I tell you this? There needs to be some Christians that will magnify God in this life, in this generation, in such a way that this world will begin once again to confess that He is the Lord of all creation. He is the God of the universe. It's high time. I mean, some of the problems that our country is facing, some of the, the depravity that our country is going through, is not because we have uh, corrupt uh, politicians. It's not because we have a bunch of... Uh, uh, communistic and socialistic type people that are out here trying to cause things to, to go a different direction. The reason is it's because of a lot of Christians that have lost their salt and we've quit magnifying God. We've now raised two or three or even four generations of people who have forgotten who God is. They don't see Him for who He is. And if our country is ever going to turn around for the Lord, if, if things in this world are ever going to turn around for the Lord, I think we ought to do our job and we ought to vote our conscience when it's time for us to vote. But we ought not rely on our politicians to change the spiritual temperature of this world. It's got to rely upon the Christians in this world. It's got to rely upon you and me coming to a place where we come to God's Word and we look at the things that the Bible says about our, our Savior <clears throat> and we take them and we magnify them to this world. We put a spotlight on Him. We lift Him up. We wave the standard. And yet we live in such a day that there's a timidity, it seems like, in Christianity, isn't there? We're so careful that we don't want to be offensive to someone. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Acts, chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. I love the story of the apostles and you know, how the Holy Spirit empowered them and not only gave them power to do certain things, but He emboldened them, didn't He? I mean, you hear some of these messages these guys preached. They didn't pull any punches. They were not beating around the bush. You didn't scratch your head when Peter got done preaching and wonder what he was preaching on. He pretty well told it pretty much like it was, didn't he? Look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter number 10 in the early church, number verse number 46. Let's back up verse number, oh, let's go to verse 44 and get a running start into it. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, and he goes on to say this. Can I tell you this? We live in a day where there are some churches that try to uh, talk about speaking in tongues, and all that I see about speaking in tongues in the day that we live in is exalting man. 
Can I tell you, when the Bible talks about speaking in tongues with these apostles, which was their gift, by the way, we find them magnifying God with it. We find them bringing glory to God for it. Every man was able to hear of the wonderful news of the Lord Jesus Christ in his own tongue. They were able to understand the gospel story. Can I tell you this? We need to be going everywhere we can spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to walk out these doors charged up. And I mean our batteries just fired up and saying we're going to magnify the Lord everywhere we go. I go out to eat this afternoon. I'm not ashamed to bow my head and pray. And I'll pray out loud. I want people to know the God that I serve. I've had a great privilege in the last two or three weeks of going to Waffle House, of all things. And as the waitress is there, they know I'm a preacher. My daughter works there, and they, she's told them, my dad's a preacher. And I come in on Sunday mornings, they say, what are you going to preach on today? We get to have a little service right there in Waffle House, it seems like, most every week. Can I tell you this? Well, be ready and willing to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend Wayne Corfman said this, we're never embarrassed to talk about the ones we love. Never embarrassed. Oh, that we would magnify God. There are several things that the psalmist speaks of here. Look with me in Psalm 34 about exalting Him. And I want us to look at these specifically. There's some areas that I believe we need to focus on when it comes to exalting Him. In verse number 33, uh, chapter number 34 and verse number 3, the psalmist writes, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt what? What is it? His name. Together. Can I tell you this, that my Savior's name and my God's name is not part of a cussing phrase. It is something that we need to step up in this day and hour and say, that is a holy name, that is a name that is my God's name, and I'd appreciate it if you don't take it in vain. And I certainly would appreciate it if you don't use it in, in relation to a curse word. And I'll tell you this, you say, well, that would embarrass that person, or that would, uh, that would cause a confrontation. Can I tell you this, we need to be magnifying God. We're in the situation we're in today because we've not magnified Him the way that we should. We've not exalted Him. We've not kept the reverence for Him that we should. We've not proclaimed it in our churches. We've not proclaimed it outside the doors of our churches like we should. We need to magnify God again. We need to have a revival of exalting His name. You know, the Bible says this, that God has given Him a name in verse Philippians chapter 2. He says, God has given Him a name which is above every name. God has highly exalted His name. It's something to be spoken of with reverence. I'm told that in the early days of, of writing Old Testament Scripture, when they would pen copies, and even in the early church period, when they would pen copies and scribe copies, that there were some of the scribes that were so meticulous, it would take them a full day to write one page of Scripture. That's how careful they were in writing this, this book. There were, some, there were some writers throughout some of the history of, of scribing the Scriptures that we hold in our hands that when they would come to the name of God, <coughs> they would go and bathe themselves and put on a fresh set of clothing. They would come back and get a new quill, and then they would sit down and with great reverence and great respect pen the name of God. And I tell you this, we don't see that kind of reverence for the name of God anymore, do we? He's used as a punchline. He's used as a curse phrase. And the truth of the matter is it's happening in our workplaces. It's happening in our social areas where we go and socialize. And a lot of Christians remain silent while it goes on. And that's why we have more and more of it happening. <coughs> if we're going to exalt God, <coughs> excuse me, 
If we're going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to begin by exalting His name once again. It needs to have reverence to it. It needs to be something that we hold dear and precious to us. It needs to be something that we lift high before an ungodly world and say, this is my God. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 69. Psalm 69 and verse number 30. <clears throat> the psalmist writes, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with what? <laughs> with what? Thanksgiving. You know how we can magnify God to this world? Not only should we, we hold His name sacred, not only should we take a stand for the holiness of His name, but we can be a grateful people. And when we give thanks, we give thanks to God. Because the truth is, any blessings that come into our life, anything that we have to be grateful for, is there by the mighty hand of God. There's not a thing that we possess in our, in our, or hold in our hands that He has not allowed us to have and not, and not been a part of us having and, and blessing our lives with our health. Uh, the material things, you say, well, I can work hard for the material things. Who gave us the health to do that? Well, who, who gave us the job and the, the employer that was willing to have us do that work? We need to be a grateful people. I was sitting out at the out at a, uh, a cookout yesterday, and uh, a, a comment was made, and I, can't, I, can't, I wish I could remember the comment. But it was a comment kind of like, boy, it's kind of blustery out here or windy out here today or something about that. And kind of like the food wasn't uh, the best and I'm hungry and, boy, you know, it's, I wish it was this way or something like that. It's just kind of a, a negative type of an attitude by a particular person. And I thought, you know, I, I went to Haiti uh, on a missions field. And I was tell, uh, a missions trip a few years ago several several times and uh, been there quite a few times and I was telling some of the folks that I was there at the cookout with yesterday, I said, you know, I went down to Haiti. I said, the truth is, we're very blessed here. We complain about things that are so, so, so nitpicky. There, I've been to Haiti, and it's amazing to me. These people who have nothing, I mean, literally, they're poverty-stricken. They, they mix herbs with dirt and eat it so their stomachs don't hurt so bad from the hunger they have. They live in a, in a small mud hut of you know maybe eight feet by ten feet, and there may be a family of five that live in there. Nothing but a dirt floor, no electricity, no cars, no running water. And you watch them. They come out of their house, and they go through their day with a grin and a smile on their face, and they're thankful for what they have. I've never talked to a Haitian that gripes and complains. There may be some. I've never met them. And I thought, here we are in the United States of America, one of the most blessed countries in the world. We have religious liberty. We have religious freedom. And we think that we're being persecuted. We don't even know what persecution is. We think that we've had to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is, we've only been inconvenienced here in this country. I don't know that we've ever suffered. We as God's people, if we're going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be giving Him thanks. We ought to be telling people everywhere we go, boy, thank the Lord that I have another day to serve Him. Boy, thank the Lord I have a house. I'm thankful I was able to have three square meals today. 
You can look around the room, and boy, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a lunch. And you're going to look around, and you're going to say, I don't know how in the world we could ever complain about food here. we got cars to drive. We have electricity. We have conveniences. We have air conditioning. We have padded seats and chairs. We have usually sanitary conditions to live in. We have great religious liberty here in this country. And we've sat back and we've become so accustomed to it that we're not thankful for it. We don't give thanks. Oh, we may, we may thank God in our prayer. We may say, Lord, thank you for the blessings of the day. But when was the last time we, ex- we exalted God in the area of thanksgiving? When we told somebody outside of our church and outside of our influence and maybe somebody that we know that's not saved or maybe away from the Lord, where we came to them and said, well, let me tell you what God did in my life today. I'm so thankful for it. This is such a blessing in my life. You just won't believe what God has done. We exalt Him when we do that. The psalmist says we exalt Him with thanksgiving. Look with me in Psalm 99. We ought to exalt His name. We ought to exalt Him by being a grateful people and give thanks to Him. In Psalm 99 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at His footstool, for He is what? Holy. Can I tell you this? If there's an area that needs to be exalted in this world today, it's the holiness of God. Uh, there needs to be, we need to quit being apologetic for standards and morals and, and rules that are right. We need, to, we need to start standing and saying, you know what, the Bible has given us a law that we can live by that helps us to please God with our lives. And there is a holy God. There is a holiness about Him. And He is to be exalted. He's to be the one that is lifted up. He's the creator of everything. He's the one who created us and breathed into a man's nostrils the breath of life. He's the one that gives each of us a soul. He's the one that allows us to live for all of eternity somewhere. We need to lift Him up and say, that's the God that has also established some rules to live by. And only in living in the center and in the rules that He has given, (coughs) the laws that He has given, only as we live according to the principles of this book are we most satisfied. And do we have the most joy? I'll tell you this, there's great freedom and liberty when you're inside the bounds of God's rules, aren't you? I've shared this so many times before. Uh, when my wife and I first got married, she was of the opinion that the speed limit was the minimum, and my mindset was it was the maximum. And I don't know how many times on a trip we would be going down the road, and uh, the uh, I'd be every once in a while I'd let her drive. Not very often, you can imagine, because you know she thought the speed limit was the minimum. Every once in a while, if I was really tired, I'd let her drive, and I'd be over there trying to doze off and go to sleep. And all of a sudden, I'd, I'd startle awake, and man, the brakes of the car were being hit, and we're slowing down fast. And I'm like, what, what, what's wrong? I thought she was going off the road. And, and there's a police car sitting on the side of the road she's slowing down for. And I thought, man, what a way to live with anxiety all the time, looking over your shoulder, wondering, am I going to get caught for this? That's no way to live your life. I like to set the cruise control right on the speed limit and wave at the police as I go by. There's great peace. And that's a silly illustration, but folks, can I tell you this? When we live inside the lines, there's great liberty. So many people today think, boy, I don't want to be bound in. I don't think God ought to give me rules. Who is He to give me rules? He's he's trying to crimp my style. I want to be my own man. Can I tell you, there's great safety 
There was years ago a missionary family came to our church. I was just a little kid. Came to our church and the husband and wife, they'd lived in, I can't remember what field they were on, but it was a field that had a lot of uh, uh, dangers in nature. They had a lot of poisonous spiders and snakes and things that could kill you. And the man got up and he started talking about uh, finding these snakes inside the house, some of them under the beds of their children and things like this and how they uh, God had spared them and gotten them out of the house and all of these things. And his wife, she was real small and frail. I can, I can still picture her for, uh, to this day, very small, very frail, petite lady. And uh, she uh, was, during the question and answer time, one of the folks in our church asked her, said, aren't you worried about the safety of your children? She said, the safest place for my children and I is in the very center of God's will. I never forgot that. Can I tell you this? The very safest, most content place a Christian can live is in the center of God's rules. His holiness. His righteousness. His moral law. When we surrender... By the way, you know the Bible teaches us this. That for those that are saved, the commands of God are not grievous. We don't look at them as things that we have to do. We look at them as things that a loving God has put in place for our good and for His glory. We need to exalt His holiness. There needs to be revival in this country of Christians that will stand up and magnify the holiness of God. That will say, not only is He holy, but I long to be holy because He's holy. I want to live just like Him. I want, to, I want to live in a way, I may not be perfect, but my goal and my desire is to live like Him. A- Amen, by the way. If the Bible says that it's wrong for us to kill, then let's not go out here and abort a bunch of babies. The Bible says that it's going to cause God to uh, be sorrowful if we lie. Then let's be people of integrity. Let's be people of character. Instead of living our lives just slightly better than the lost, let's come and compare ourselves to the Word of God and say, Boy, I am falling so short. I want to do my best to strive to live this way. It's going to be the desire of my heart. I may not always succeed at it, but it's going to be what I love to do. Can I tell you, we need to have a revival of that. It will exalt God. It will exalt Him. People will once again see that He is a holy God. He's not a God that puts up with all this craziness that the... There are people out here that say, well, a loving God, He's going to love all these abominations that we're committing. He's not going to be judgeful of us. Can I tell you this? He certainly will be judgeful of it. Just because He loves us doesn't mean that He's not just. We need, to, we need to lift high and exalt the holiness of God once again. One more. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter number 25 and verse number 1. <clears throat> Isaiah writes, O Lord, Thou art my God. By the way, what a great statement. I think it'd do a lot of Christians a lot of good if we'd ever get to the place where we could say, Oh Lord, Thou art my God. Oh, I know we've trusted Him for our salvation. But is He our God? Is He the one that we look to and hold to? 
He says, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. People need to see the faithfulness of God. We need to exalt Him. You know, the Bible says that He has never forsaken us. He is always faithful. The Bible says faithful is He that uh, uh, started the the work, I think, or faithful is He that promised you also will do it, I think is the way the the, the, the verse goes. God's faithfulness. He's he's sure, isn't He? When God says He's going to do something, He does it, doesn't He? He's, He's not a situational ethics kind of a God. Aren't we glad of that? Could you imagine if God was that way? We would be so frustrated. We would never know from circumstance to circumstance what our response ought to be. God is faithful. And can I tell you this? God's truth is unchangeable. You can believe it or not believe it, but it's still truth. And can I tell you this? It needs to be exalted as such. We need to take the truth of God's Word, and we need to elevate it. We need to exalt it. We need to magnify it. We need to take it to a lost world and say, listen, this isn't just a book that's written by a bunch of men. This is God that has spoken to man. This has not just the thoughts of God. It is the words of God. This is what God has spoken to you and I so that we would know how to go to heaven and so that we would know how to live once we are on our way to heaven. Oh, that we could exalt the truth of the Word of God. The Bible talks about the fact that the church is the pillar and the ground that the truth rests upon. And if the truth is fallen in the streets, the Bible says, what can the righteous do? You know the responsibility for proclaiming and defending and protecting and propagating this book lies with the church? That's what the Bible says. And we've neglected it. It needs to be exalted again. It needs to be lifted up again. It needs to be, let's put it this way, magnified again. It needs to be magnified. We're going to go a little further. It needs to be exalted. All these things need to be exalted. Our God needs to be exalted personally. We must learn who God is. We must see Him this way. We must see His holiness. We must see Him as a God who gives, who is, is always blessing our lives that we're thankful for. We must exalt His name. We must understand His faithfulness and His truth and rest on those things. We must be so convinced of it personally first. And can I tell you this? It's hard for us to exalt Him to others when we ourselves don't have the proper view of Him. Can I tell you, one of the big things that has to happen to start with, one of the, 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 this is rudimentary, this is exalting God 101, is it must happen here first. It's got to happen here. If it doesn't happen here, it'll never happen out there. We've got to, we've got to exalt Him personally. Once we get that nailed down, then we need to exalt Him in the immediate people that we have influence on. I would say mainly our families our co-workers, our church, those that we have immediate contact with, we need to take that that is already convinced in our hearts. We've exalted Him to ourselves. We know who He is. And we begin to exalt Him to others. By the way, if we get full of God and we start bubbling over with how much uh, about Him that we know and that we love Him and we trust Him, and we're thankful for what He's done for us, it won't help but spill out. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's not something that we labor for. It's something that is produced inside of us. That has an outward, it just—it has to happen. It just comes out. A, a, a tree doesn't strain and labor to produce fruit. If it gets full enough of enough nourishment, it just starts bearing it naturally. And can I tell you this, that if we'll get big enough on this idea of exalting God in our own personal lives, it's going to spill out somewhere. We need to exalt Him personally. We need to exalt Him with those that are in the immediate vicinity of our influence. Can I tell you this? We need to exalt Him to this world that is lost. Everywhere we go, doesn't matter who it is. You say, well, Greg, I don't know that person. Doesn't mean we can't tell them about how great our God is. Doesn't mean we can't tell them that He's a holy God. Doesn't mean that we can't tell them about His faithfulness. By the way, we could go on and on and on about things to exalt Him about, couldn't we? His mercy, His grace, His long-suffering. The fact that He is our protector, He's our fortress, He's our high tire. We go on and on and on with things we could exalt Him about. Can I tell you this? We live in a time, and we're living in the end of the last days, I believe, where it is time and high time. If we're ever, I was telling somebody this week, if we're ever going to do something for the Lord, I'm going to turn 50 years old this year. I can't even believe it. I feel like I'm supposed to be like 20. I don't know where the time went. I don't. Some of y'all are nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. You think, boy, he's a young fella, Miss Evelyn. She tells me that all the time. You're just a young one, you know. And I, I am. I am. But, you know, I, I got to thinking the other day. My dad died when he was 62 years old. And if I live as long as my dad did, I've got 12 years left to do something for the Lord. I better get busy doing it. If I'm going to exalt Him, I better get busy today. It's not something I'm going to say, yeah, I need to do that. And one of these days, I'll do it. No. This time is short. If we're going to do it, we need to do it now. We need to leave here today and we need to exalt Him. We need to go through our week this week and we need to exalt Him. And I, if I be lifted up, Jesus said, will draw all men unto Me. Couldn't we point men to Him? You say, well, I'm a little shy about the plan of salvation. I don't even know how to share the gospel with somebody. You can exalt Him. You can lift Him up. You can cause people to see Him for who He really is. All of us can do something. Are we exalting Him today? Or have we grown calloused in this area? Have we gone apathetic? Have we not seen the need to exalt Him? When was the last time we got so excited telling somebody about what God is and what He's done for us? I mean, we just got excited about it. They, they, they had to say, you know what, it's time for me to go because we kept talking, going on and on and on about how good God was. When was the last time we got that excited about the things of the Lord? Exalted Him in such a way. When we began to share this, the fact that He came to this earth and died on the cross for our sin, and tears began to well up in our eyes as we share with somebody what God has done for us. When was the last time we exalted Him that way? And then we look at our world and we say, boy, what a condition it's in. Because we need to exalt Him. We need to exalt Him. Let's stand together.
Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll use the message this morning. Lord, I've struggled this week, and You know the issues, and I pray that You would take the frailty and the preaching, and I pray that You'll use it in the hearts of people. Lord, we've done our best. I pray that You would help us to have such a desire to reach others, to introduce them to You, to help them to see You as You really are, to be able to introduce You to them in such a way that they would see their need of a Savior, and that Your Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon their hearts. And for Christians, maybe, that have uh, fallen away and just... Uh, backslidden and not not doing anything for you, Lord, that maybe we could exalt you in such a way that their hearts would be stirred and revived and brought back to you again. I pray that you would bless. Lord, use the invitation as you would see fit. Help us to exalt you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.